excited if I told you that there was a way to spend less time cleaning in the new year, still maintain a tidied home, and focus more on enjoying experiences with your family instead? Would you say yes to less stuff if it meant more meaning in your life? One in seven Americans have a room in their home that they cannot even use because it's filled with futile possessions, according to advances in consumer research. And despite that fact, clear voice research says 41% of Americans haven't decluttered for over a year. But how do you know where to even start decluttering in your home, especially if you have more than one room filled to capacity with useless junk? My guest this week is the voice behind the top-rated kids and family podcast, Minimalist Moms, where she teaches people how to live a life in the pursuit of less. She's an Ohio mother married with three children, and her first book, Minimalist Moms, Living and Parenting with Simplicity, came out in 2021. She strongly believes that you don't have to be the perfect housekeeper or Pinterest connoisseur to become an expert at simplifying your home and getting rid of excess possessions. Welcome Diane Bowden to The Spillover for episode two of season four in our health and wellness month to teach us the tangibles of decluttering, minimalism, and mindfulness, and how to have a very rich life without having a lot of things. Diane, your podcast crushes in the parenting space, in the health and wellness space. And it was funny because you and I were kind of talking before recording and you were like, well, I do feel like for your health and wellness month, I was thinking about it. I was like, does minimalism and decluttering and all this fit in health and wellness? Mm -hmm. And we both were like, yes, Mm -hmm. it does. Yeah, it absolutely does. Because as I was saying to you, I am at the point where my house is mostly decluttered. I mean, with kids, you're constantly bringing things in. You're going through all of that. But now I apply it to my schedule and my relationships. And yes, my mental health back in the fall, I would say, has suffered a lot because I wasn't applying the principles that I so believed in to be true. And so, yeah, we can talk all about that and how um, it's not just your things that you're decluttering. It's your schedule and it's your mind and what you're taking in because – All of that affects you on a day-to-day basis as well as your things. Absolutely. Now, have you always been a minimalist or did you just throw your hands up one day and say, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of the mess. I have too much crap in this house. I need a change. Yeah. So there's a pinpoint light bulb moment that I can go back to when my husband and I were early married. We were married when we were 22 and we were looking for something in my parents' basement. And to paraphrase him, he said, Look at these things that are now in boxes that were once your dad's hard-earned work hours. And for me at the time, I had been working since, I mean, I was like 15. I always had jobs. I loved to work, but I only had a closet full of clothes to show for it and debt. And when he said, look at your hard-earned work hours, what, what is that going to equate to at the end of my life or just even at the in the next five to 10 years? I was incredibly overwhelmed by that thought. And I always preface this uh, entire conversation without, I don't want to throw my parents under the bus. And we did have a great childhood and I appreciate all the things and the blessings my parents gave to us. Um, However, I think it's like, why are we keeping these things in boxes and creating these little museums in our attic or in our uh, garage or in our basements? And that was a turning point to me to say, okay, if I'm going to be working and I'm having to work, I want to focus my attention on experiences over things and not consume as much. And so that kind of got the ball rolling on this is what I I want for our relationship and our life together. 
And now you have this podcast where you talk about all of this. You, you have a book that discusses not only a minimalist life, but also mm-hmm. simplicity parenting. Yes. How many kids do you have? I have three kids. I have an eight-year-old, a five-year-old, and a three-year-old. That's so, so great. Busy. <laughs> and see, this is the thing. When I have thought about minimalism or people that say, well, I live a minimalist life, the mm-hmm. only thing I know is fashion, like capsule wardrobes. I have yes. two shirts and one pair of shoes and one dress, and that is all I have, and maybe a trench coat. Yeah. That's what I think. So I'm very um, ignorant on what does it truly mean to be a minimalist? Well, it's going to look different for everyone, and it, you're right. It does look different in motherhood. And so, gosh, I don't even know where to start of the little tips that I have and the tricks that I have. But I would just say minimalism isn't about white walls and it isn't about having just one spoon and one. I Yeah, people go crazy. You're right. Like, that's not the way that I live my life because I want a vibrant, rich life. However, I don't know if you're familiar. Are you familiar with Marie Kondo? Oh, of course. Okay. Uh, she, she uh, I love mess and it sparks joy and all that yeah, kind of stuff. Sparking joy, sparking <laughs> joy. So that's what I wanted to talk about. I have to own a hammer. I don't use my hammer. My husband uses the hammer. But the hammer doesn't spark joy in my life, but I have to have it. So it's kind of those things that I don't necessarily agree with, not to throw her under the bus, um, but I don't necessarily agree with that type of minimalism or necessarily the minimalists. They're great guys and I love uh the message that they preach, but it just is not applicable to people um, with kids that, that, as I said, the kids are bringing the things into the home that they're their own individuals. And I don't ever want to suppress that. I want to guide and direct that. And I also don't want to create little hoarders one day either where it backfires on me because I've been too oppressive with the um, trying to manage and whatnot. So Yeah. So I think that is probably shocking to be like, wait a minute, you're saying that it's okay to have some things and still live a minimalist lifestyle and it's not all about white walls. Could you expand on that a little bit? Yeah. So for us, I don't want to have things in my home that I don't love. And so it sometimes I feel like it's maybe a little bit of frugality that is is driving me as opposed to minimalism. It's like I don't necessarily want to spend money until I know what I actually want. But also, why do we buy these huge homes and fill them with things that we don't necessarily need? It's like, oh, we have all these cabinets, so we're just going to automatically fill the cabinets. And um, again, I think it's just more so considering what we're bringing in as opposed to, um, I don't know. I guess I lost my train of thought. I don't know what I was trying to say. It's it's about what you're bringing in and I don't know, like editing, editing. Yeah, well, in things out. To, yeah, and to car, and to, in regards to decluttering, if you're looking at the things that you're trying to get rid of, so often we're caught up in sentimentality. I don't want to get rid of this because this is special to me. But however, if you look at the thing, reason that we're keeping things in these objects. The object is not your memory. If you get rid of something, you still have that memory within you. It's just that item is a representation of the memory. So I think it's about finding balance between your past and your present. And what does that look like? So when I'm decluttering, I pull every single thing out of this space. We'll talk about the closet. I pull everything out. And then in my mind, I'm like, I know the things that I really love that I wear regularly. And then the things that are maybe, uh, I don't really know if I like this. And then the things that you know that you don't wear, you can get rid of. So those things that I don't really know why I'm keeping this, I like to pull in extra help. Usually it's my husband or my most judgy friend (laughs) to help me. And again, it's like, am I just sentimental about this item? Because I wore it at a time that I really enjoyed in my life. However, if I don't ever wear it. Why am I keeping it? And if yeah. it doesn't fit my body anymore, why am I keeping it? That is a weight on you. It doesn't seem like it, but it's a weight keeping these clothes in our closets that 
once fit us or we're going to get back into. It's like, no, I want to dress for my body now because I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. So I want to cultivate the lifestyle of the here and now. And it, I guess mindfulness also plays a role in minimalism too and in, in my brand of minimalism. Well, I feel very called out about the, the you wore this at a special time, so you just keep it. You know, yeah. that is totally me. The closet editing, that's going to be an exciting section. Why do you think that living a minimalist life gives you more freedom? Well, I don't. Well, number one, I feel like I'm not cleaning nearly as much as other people. I feel like I can easily tidy my house within 10 to 15 minutes. And it's just because we don't have a lot of stuff. Now, but let me ask you this. Do you feel like you have an average size house, smaller house, or you do have a large home? Okay. Because I think some of the moms listening will be curious about that. Yeah. So we, when we first got married, we owned a duplex and we lived on half of it until we brought our third son home. And at this point we were, (laughs) I think we're also just kind of weird. We're minimalist, but we're just kind of strange. And we can do with, uh, without the bouginess. Mm -hmm. And so anyways, we brought him home and we had been sleeping on our futon couch. It was a nice futon couch from Urban Outfitters. It was okay. We're we're not talking like college dorm room. Um, However, that was 900 square feet at that time. And we'd lived there with our kids and we gave them the bedrooms. Now we upgraded to, I think we're in 1300 square feet. Okay. So still not a lot. And there are times that I'm frustrated that my son is waking up his brother and vice versa, that I wish we had a little bit more space. But there's actually been studies done with heat maps of homes. Where are we spending the most of our time or the majority of our time? And you're not around your house. So these huge houses that we're buying, to me... I don't know. Again, it's nice to have some space, but it's like, what are we doing with the space? Are we doing it to show off? Are we doing it for for what motive? You're saying that we could buy a 6,000 square foot house. We're probably only actually using like, I don't know, 1,900 square feet or something like that. Yeah, I mean, if that, if you look, um, I mean, I'm thinking about myself and like going through where I spend the time in my home and I'm on my couch. I'm in the bathroom, (laughs) I'm cooking at the stove and I'm sitting at the dining room table. So my heat map throughout my day is going to be in I don't know, probably like 200 square feet, if that, if what I'm actually, oh, and in my bed. So again, a lot of people are listening to this. They've already purchased their first home and you can't go back and you can't redo, but it's like, why is it wrong to have empty cabinets or why is it wrong to have like pull things down off the walls and create a space that's not so cluttered? And, um, I mean, again, that just, it does weigh on you, um, with the visual clutter on the walls too. Things yeah, like that. Yeah. It can weigh on you emotionally. Oh yeah, for sure. Why do you think so many women struggle with decluttering? Well, I think number one, it does come back to sentimentality. And then I think that they feel like, I don't know where to start. Where do I start? I have these kids. It's never going to never going to end. And that is something that's true. It, you're never going to arrive with children in the house or even with a spouse that's not on board with decluttering. And so I would say Um, A good place to start, I always encourage people to start in the bathroom because the bathroom is where you begin your day and you typically end your day. And it's not a space that I want to feel overwhelmed in. So in the bathroom, you can easily go through and you don't have a ton of sentimental attachment to the things within there. And I would just say if you're someone that likes all the decor on your, um, what is it, the countertops and on the walls, Pull it out for a month and see how you feel. And Mm. then slowly add things back in that you may feel like you like. And maybe even have like a holding space in your basement, like a box. Give it a set time. I'm going to get rid of this in four to six weeks. If I don't find that I miss any of this stuff, then I will go ahead and 
say goodbye. Sometimes, though, you have to do it like a Band-Aid and you just got to get it out. Right. That's <laughs> I think that is the hard thing. So mm-hmm. here's a here's like a fun anecdote. So um, my followers know and you may know from following me on Instagram because that's how we connected yeah. is I was like listening to your podcast and discovered you through a thousand days outside. A thousand hours outside. A thousand yeah. hours outside. That's right. And I was so I discovered you from there and then your podcast and then you would message me on Instagram like, wait, this is the same lady yeah. I was just listening to. So we connected. So on my Instagram, I've talked about how in the last year I had an interior designer come and she helped me like yes. do my whole apartment. Well, when it came to my bathroom, I had bought, you know, those little jars and things that you keep yeah. like your cotton balls in and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Okay. Well, I also had bought a glass gold tray that you set those jars on to put oh, on my countertop. Okay. And she says to me, Alex, why did you get this? You don't need this. It's unnecessary. It's taking up more space. Yeah. It's a thing to put a thing on and mm-hmm. you don't need it. And she made me take it to Goodwill. And I just, that reminds me what you're saying, like with counter space, like how many of these decorative things do we really need? She's yeah. like, you don't need it. And it actually does look so much nicer that I've hardly anything on yeah. my sink countertop. Well, it's just easier to clean too. And you just yes. can go, when I my kids are taking the bath, I usually just go in and wipe down the bathroom. I mean, that's just little moments in my day where I can just do a quick declutter and tidying. I mean, it just helps to stay on top of it as well. So many times people are like, I need to organize my stuff. Yes. And they'll go to the, what, it's the container store? Yes. I I have a whole, I have some questions about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we can get into that. But yeah, you're not wanting to organize your stuff first. You need to declutter first, see what you have, assess what you have, inventory, if you will. Because the things that we own in a, our mental inventory in our brain. So we this is to- this is what I've been doing wrong, Diane. Because I've been going to the container store and I'm stocking up on these stupid home edit plastic containers mm-hmm. to put my stuff in before I even go through my stuff to get rid of. Because mm-hmm. I was going to ask you, I'm like, is it really worth it to buy all of these plastic containers to organize my things? And I probably don't need as much, mm-hmm. but I'm not editing down. Yes. Edit down and see what you actually want to keep. Because why would you? It just is like the chicken before the egg. What comes first? But it's actually, gosh, what comes first? The chicken or the egg? I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. But you definitely don't want to spend the money and then have all like organized after you declutter. Okay. And then are those plastic bins and baskets and all that stuff, I mean, worth it? I mean, I'm not opposed to that. Uh, Like I said, we're kind of weird in how we store our things. I feel like I live with less than I need, and I'm not really necessarily into having – we have a cabinet in our hallway. It doesn't have to look perfect to me. I'm like, no one's going to see that in there. So if I just have, like, one little bin, that's okay to keep my stuff in. And I also think with decluttering, it's like, what products am I actually using? What works best for me? And going through that, you have to be very honest with yourself of what – you actually do and what your habits are. Because again, I think a lot of decluttering is being honest with yourself and saying, who am I now? Because have I ever gotten to that point that I want to be? And if maybe that's a challenge to you to say, yeah, I want to be that person. I want to be the person that uses all these skincare products and um, focuses on skincare. I want to be the person that has all, if you're looking at the kitchen, all these health foods and chia seeds and flax seeds and all these things. But like, if you're not doing that, why are you keeping them? I don't know. I think it's like a crutch. Like we feel like, well, if we have it, we'll do it. Mm -hmm. Well, you can typically go to the store. If that's the case, for $20 and under, even Facebook Marketplace, you can find a replacement for these things. And I don't – I'm not about wasting money. It's more so now that I have this thought and I've laid out how I want to be, that's another thing with decluttering. I really – think at the beginning of your your journey, your journey, 
<laughs> you need to um, just assess some of the things that you're looking for with decluttering and what the space, uh, decluttering your space would do for you. And then you can kind of connect the dots between like, what's the life I'm living versus what I want to actually be. Mm. Is, do you really uh, feel like it is women that struggle with this more than men? I think so, and I don't exactly know why. I do think we're more emotional, and the sentimentality does play a role. Um, but I, some men really do like their things as well. I think they can live with less, though, than we can. I don't know. I feel like men have they, – they actually have more of a shoe addiction sometimes than women can. Yeah. Sneakers. Yeah. You know? Yeah. How has living minimally positively affected your personal relationships? Well, I would just say I have more time to focus on my friends. My friends are so important to me. And even as a mom, I try to make sure that I am getting regular friend time. But I would just say if I'm managing all of these relationships, well, actually, do you want me to tell you this is yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you this thing that I did a couple of years ago. And it kind of makes me look like a jerk, but it actually really cha- it changed my relationship life, I guess. Okay. The, the relationships in my life. I went through and organized my friends with tiers, T-I-E-R, tier one, tier two, tier three. I wrote down every woman that I was regularly seeing. <gasps> I know, I know. Every woman that I was regularly seeing. And I was like, tier one friends, I want to see on a weekly, bi-weekly basis. I love this. We're organizing our friends. <laughs> this is like MySpace top eight on <laughs> yeah, steroids. Yeah, kind of. Okay, kind of. so we're organizing by tiers who we see or yes. want to see. Yes. And so it was like bi-weekly, weekly. Tier two was, gosh, I think I said once every six to six weeks to three months. And then tier three, it was like, I love you. You've had a space in my life. If you call me, if you call me to get coffee and I'm free, sure. But I'm not going to reach out to you because those people, I was finding I was saying yes to those women. And it was just kind of surface level. I'm not a surface level person. Like I want to get in there. (laughs) And maybe that makes people uncomfortable, but it's like, I want to invest in the women that I know about your life and I can live um, just live life with you. And I felt like those level three, it was just like chatter. I love I this because, you know, in my I've never thought of it like that. The way you just broke that down is so beautiful. But what I think of when I organize my friends in my head, I'm like, OK, these are these are my what you're talking about, the surface level friends. But it, mm-hmm. I call them party friends. So like yeah. these are the friends I call when I'm like, I want to go hit, hit up the bars. Yeah. But I never have heart to hearts with them. I never yeah. have deep conversations with them. And then I have my very, very best friends. I have like two very best friends where I am having those heart to hearts. I'm going to make time to buy a flight to go visit them Mm because we don't live in the same city. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I have those friends where it's like, I like their pictures on Instagram Mm -hmm. and that's about as far as our friendship goes at this point, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, I was going to say, so relating that back to the question that you asked, I would just say I have richer relationships with people because, and again, this is minimalism applied to our schedule and our mind versus our our possessions. But also it's just like, what actually matters? Um, I am a Christian and I talk about that a little bit on my podcast, but we don't, if for those of us that are Christians, we don't store our uh, possessions here on earth. Like we mm. build up treasures in heaven. The Bible is, talks about that all the time um, or throughout scripture. And so I would just say, like, what am I investing in on this side of eternity? And it's really hard because I do like clothes. I love clothes. However, a lot of the clothes these days, I love Poshmark. And so I'll get clothes on Poshmark. It's a great sustainable option as well. Yep, I use that. Um, Facebook Marketplace, there's Instagram accounts where women will go thrifting for you and then cultivate, curate their little feed, and then you can buy from them on Instagram. What? Yeah. So a lot of things I've purchased, a lot of things. 
things I purchased on there. Um, I love the real real. I've been doing a lot of that of oh, yeah. designer items yes, 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 yes. that are they're authenticated. What yes. I can stand is fast fashion or fake fashion. Yeah. I would rather buy a real Prada bag that's been gently used mm -hmm. and consigned that I know is real and, you know, marked down a little bit because that has a tiny bit of wear on it yeah. than buy just like a fake one. Well, you're talking about quality over quantity, too. Yeah. So I like nice things. Most of the things that I own are nicer, but I'd rather save up for something nice and or thrift it versus, yeah, I don't want to call out brands, but like I will, H&M with Forever 21, that stuff, even Target. I mean, It just falls apart. Yeah, it does. And then you're buying, you're spending more money in the long run because you're buying new things. Every, more frequently. Yeah, every summer. It's like, oh, I got to go buy all these t-shirts. It's like, maybe if you would have bought a nice one, you could last that would last for a little bit longer. I have a great idea. When you start your bathroom decluttering and take everything out of your cabinet, do me a favor. Look at the packaging for your feminine products. Do your pads or tampons say things like titanium dioxide, chlorine, fragrance? You could be putting extremely toxic ingredients into a part of your body that's very absorbent. Stop using drugstore brand feminine products that are riddled with toxic ingredients and use men in their marketing for a product that is supposed to be for women. Start using Garnu, G-A-R-N-U-U. -U. Their tampons are 100% organic cotton. The plastic applicators are BPA-free and all their products are made without chlorine, dyes, or fragrance. Your periods could be painful and terrible because of what you're putting in your body during it. Try something different. Garnu also sells menstrual cups, and don't worry, pads are coming soon. Another fun fact I love is that Garnu is a conservative-owned company that fights human trafficking in Nepal with every purchase. This year, we're done giving our money to businesses that hate us. Get 15% off your first monthly subscription by going to Garnu.com slash spillover with code spillover. That's G-A-R-N-U-U.com slash spillover with code spillover for 15% off. Or check the show notes in the description. Let me ask you something going back to the friend thing, because this is a question I get asked a lot, and um, I'm about to be 30. Mm -hmm. And so just thinking there's so much growth that happens between the beginning of your 20s and the end, mm -hmm. because, you know, at first you're like, well, for a lot of people, it's like college, the, getting out of high school, all those mm -hmm. types of things. And then you get more serious in life. You're starting your career. You may be starting a family. Yeah. And so friendships change. Mm -hmm. When do you think is a really good time or the prime time to start reassessing friendships and being like, hey, this person was in my life for a season. They're not really, you know, meant to be there forever. I don't need to keep investing in this friendship, investing time and energy. Like, is it late 20s, early 30s the best time to do that? I mean, I don't think there's necessarily a time frame. I did it when I had my second child. And I just felt like, again, it's like, okay, if this is something else that is – I don't want to say my child's added to my schedule, but it's like this is another human in my life that I'm giving energy to um, if you really break it down to what I'm doing. And so I had to just be clear with I don't want to, to give my energy to, again, that chatter of the weather or just like very surface level things. I want to invest that in my kids and then baby, maybe be quiet, just be quiet and not have to fill the space. I think that's really hard for me because I'm a talker and I really – um, I love connecting with people, but it's like, when is the time to just be quiet? And 
that was another reason that I laid out the tears. And again, it's not because those people weren't valuable in my life and hopefully I was doing the same to them. These are roommates that I've had that are now in tier three. And again, it's not like you have to have a conversation while you've dropped a tier three. (laughs) It's just... I think people kind of get that idea. And again, if they reach out to you and you have the time, I think it's great to catch up. But I think it's just like, where is our energy going throughout the week as we become moms or we have a nine to five that we're really invested in? Whatever your goal is, I think that it's just always good to reassess what is taking my energy. So Absolutely. How can women find contentment in our wardrobes? How can we stop from wanting to buy the pair of shoes as soon as we see it or the bag or the dress? Well, I'll be honest with you. I got a, the onesies a little bit this this fall and winter, like early winter. I felt like I was wanting things. And I felt like it's because maybe I hadn't bought things for a while. I felt like I maybe um, – I wanted to add some new pieces to my wardrobe. So I think that's okay. However, I also had to reevaluate, reexamine why am I dressing – when I was not a minimalist, I would want to have something new every time I would see people or like I would never That's wear me. Yeah, I would never want the same people like at church on Sunday. You're not going to see me in the same thing. Yes. It's with new friends. So anyways, um, I had to reevaluate why I liked my friends. So why do I like Alex? Do I like her because every time I see her, she's in something new? No, I like Alex because Alex is who she is and she's a unique person and special to me. And so when I detached myself from the things that I needed. This was also with body image too. When I thought about like my motivations for wanting to fit a certain size, it's like, why do I like my friends? And my friends are all various sizes. So yeah, I would just say when we get clear minded and rational with, again, driving factors, driving forces in our lives, we can easily detach from those emotions because that's emotional motivation. That's not rational. It's not Mm. rational to want to have new clothes every time we see someone. And what is your motivation in wanting to do that? So Wow. That's so good. That's such a good self-reflective exercise, I think. It's hard. And I'm not in your – so you live a different lifestyle than I do too. And so it would be hard being in uh, like a corporate setting or where you're around a lot of people that are living that way and to not do that. But I think that we can also be trendsetters in that way. And or if you do want things, why not get it secondhand? Like I said, Poshmark or these Instagram accounts, Facebook Marketplace, you can get some great things at Goodwill. Like, I don't know. It's the motivation and the money waste that I look back on those times that I was doing those things and I have nothing to show for it. Yeah. And it's a, I'm like, what if I would have set myself up in my early 20s to have all that in savings? Well, you know what the biggest problem is with millennials and Gen Z, I think also, is that we buy all of this. We do most of our shopping online, I think. Mm-hmm. And then when it doesn't fit or we don't like it, we're too lazy to return it. So we have just all <laughs> of these clothes that if we would have returned them within the 30 day, 15, 30 day window, yeah. we could have gotten our money back, but we're too lazy to do it. Yeah. So then we waste all this money and then we have all these excess clothes yeah. that we can't wear or don't wear. Yeah. I, that's a huge issue for my friends and I. Interesting. Okay. So I don't have that problem. I definitely will get things back. However, if you do send things back, I know with Amazon, oftentimes they'll just throw it away. They won't even restock wow. it. And so for people that are into sustainable living and care about the environment, I think that that's something that always overwhelms people to think about. Like when we send things back, are they actually going back or to these cheapy places. Yeah. 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 So, you know, one of the uh, hardest things for me to keep clean and uh, decluttered is a purse. 
Sure. Yes. Where the heck do you start with that? What What do we actually need as women to be keeping in our handbags? So again, I would look at what your lifestyle is like and what you're doing, what you're actually needing. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a journaler. I like to write things down. It helps me visualize and see it. And I get, um, have you heard of a brain dump? Yes. <laughs> so just getting everything out of my brain. So I would say, write down everything in your purse and then assess why do I need this? Do I actually need this every day? You saw me walk in. I have a fanny pack that I wear now. I don't even take a purse anymore. Now, why is that? Well, I think I do have kids, so I don't like to have something that I'm like having to hold on to, but also it just like goes right here. My stuff is right here. I mean, you can wear it around your waist. They're coming back, man. No, they are coming back. Gen Z brought those back hardcore. I like them. But no, I just would say I don't need nearly as much. I used to carry around my giant makeup bag everywhere that I went, but I did that because I was insecure. It's like, oh, wonder if it rains <laughs> and I <laughs> need to redo it. my makeup or wonder if I I just need this person to see me a certain way. It's really hard. Yeah. How can you balance being a minimalist but also being prepared and yeah. having things in your car, having yeah. things in your purse that you might need? I think we as women operate on this what if all the time. Yeah. So I carry um, in my car that's the other thing. If you don't have a car, that's kind of hard. But in my car, I have clothes for me and my kids because we like to be in nature and my kids are constantly getting wet. And so it's like nice to have the clothes that we can get to. But I, I guess I'm just not as maybe I'm not as prepared. Again, I think that there, <laughs> I'm like, I live in the city. I can go to the store if I need something. Yeah. But no, I think that there is everyone's personality is different and your level of preparedness in those situations are going to look different. It's just why. I think it's the why. I don't know. As I'm processing this conversation with you, I think I'm coming back to why am I keeping these things? Why am I doing these things? Why do I think this matters? Why do I think this doesn't matter? Like, what is that driving factor that we have to get back to? I don't know. Okay. I want to talk about the cleaning cabinet, cleaning supplies. How many cleaning supplies do we actually need in our homes at any given time? Well, I listened to your interview yesterday or <laughs> yesterday with Ray. What, yeah, that, Emily, yeah. little Ray help. Yeah. And um, I'm sure that she would be not happy with as many things that I have just because <laughs> of the toxicity and whatnot. So I'm going to work on that this year. But I mean, what is it overflowing? I mean, I think as long as you have a few products that can get the job done, that that would be comfortable. I don't like to put a number on any of this because, again, I don't, maybe you're really into cleaning or maybe you're a cook and you want to, I heard her say something about chicken though on the counter. She's like, this product would just kill all of these germs. So yeah, I would just say, are you able to comfortably move through your home? Are you able to comfortably get to your cleaning products that you need? Because if you're having to scooch things around and uh, that's frustrating in itself. And it's like, I don't really want to clean because every time I have to go to clean, I have to maneuver through all of these extra things. So what do I actually need? Where is it best kept and best stored? And I will, I, I, not that cleaning is always so fun, but it's like if I put on a podcast, I can easily grab my stuff and get it done fast. So for decluttering the kitchen, mm-hmm. what's the best place to start in the kitchen? Is it the under the sink cabinet? Is it your pantry? Mm-hmm. Is it the Tupperware cabinet? I mean, I would say the refrigerator or the pantry is a great place to start. And just like your closet, honestly, any space that you're decluttering, you want to pull everything out to see what you have because you easily could get get rid of expired things. That's something you can easily see. And then again, what am I actually using? And then maybe the things that you're like, oh, I really have been wanting to use that. Put that at the front of the fridge or the front of the pantry, like the forefront of your mind so that you know I'm going to start meal planning or building a meal plan around using this up. 
that's another thing. We have all these things and we never use them. And it's, again, like a little museum or like these relics that we have. And it's why are we keeping these things if we're not using them? Yeah, it's like if you're buying organic, expensive snacks, you put those on the back of your cabinet. You put all the processed food, your mm-hmm. your you know, cheesy bits, I don't know, Reese's Pieces or whatever at the <laughs> beginning or at the front, then that's probably what you're grabbing. Yeah, that's true. It's yeah. kind of habit forming. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, just I would say with any situation, any area of your home, you're going to just want to pull out everything and assess and then put back in as you see fit. What are some experiences that you have been able to do that you may not have been able to do uh, or wouldn't have been possible without minimalism? Okay. So I, especially thinking of your audience, I would say one of the biggest things that we did in our early marriage, uh, so instead of our honeymoon being the first year, my husband's a teacher, so we had to wait for a year. Instead of going on some bougie resort vacation, we spent three and a half weeks traveling the country in our car. We camped out. We saw, I don't know how many states we ended up seeing, but we just traveled around and saw the U.S. And it was one of the best decisions that we'd made. And I remember we got to San Francisco. We had gone down from Ohio, like through Tennessee, hit New Orleans, uh, Texas. We saw the Grand Canyon. We went to Santa Fe, like just all the way up the coast, all the way up to Port Angeles, Washington. But when we got to San Francisco, we're like, oh, this would have been plane tickets. Like, we were able to do it so minimally. We ate oatmeal for breakfast because you can get some hot water from McDonald's. Like, we just did it so simply. And again, maybe this is frugality and just us being estranged. But we were like, no, we want to prioritize experiences with each other as opposed to, I don't know, everyone's going to look different for what they do. But it's things like that that I think you look back and you don't regret putting money towards things that are those memories that are everlasting. Do you feel like doing something like that, like a cross-country road trip so early on in your marriage, played a huge role in just the success of your marriage and relationship down the road? Um, I mean, yeah. I think that anytime you have the opportunity to be alone with someone and to struggle with someone, I mean, we had car problems throughout that trip. But yeah, I mean, any any opportunity that you get to explore the world and new things with someone, I think that's huge. And again, it's like we saw in early marriage, what we were capable of, I guess, on that trip, or not capable of, but just what we could handle and and camping out on our honeymoon several times. It was really fun. And I wouldn't, I'm, I'm not going to camp out for more than one night. (laughs) I got to get myself to a shower. But yeah, I think that it just kind of set us up for this is what life together is going to look like. And again, we never really had a conversation about minimalism back that day in my parents' basement. It was more so just an aha moment to me to say, oh yeah, I want to live differently. You brought up the Little Ray of Health episode, and we talked a lot about hormones and stuff. And I saw through posts that you've made Mm -hmm. that there is a UCLA study that found that the sheer volume of possessions for people in their home can actually elevate stress hormones. Yeah, absolutely. Well, think about, okay, I always tell people to declutter their entryway of their home because have you ever arrived home and just right when you step foot in your door, you're like, oh. I forgot that I left this mess. Or I oh, yeah. That this was. Or somebody else in your family got through before you. They've kicked off their shoes and yeah. set their backpack or whatever and just clutter as soon as you walk in. Yeah. And so I think that we can see right then and there that it has an effect on our mood and our emotions. And so, yeah, that study was really interesting. There's a book, uh, Life at Home in the 21st Century, and it talks, I think it was done in Southern California. This was, I think, It's not up to date. I would love to see an up to date study because I do think that minimalism and living with less is catching on. But 
yeah, I think that as moms, we need to minimize the stress as much as possible. And it's something that's in our control. Decluttering is in our control. So much of our life is not in our control. We can't control our kids. We can't control our spouse. Um, sometimes we can't control our emotions. I, I try. But I can control the amount of things that I have in my closet. And I can control um, just the way that the closet downstairs is organized for my home. Like I am a gatekeeper in a sense of what is coming in, especially with my things. And if I can't have control elsewhere, I'd just rather have it where I can. And so I think minim minimalism and decluttering allows me to have that peace. Well, you talking about that, how some people get rid of their possessions because that's a way to control their emotions mm -hmm. and, and take control over that stress in their life. It's interesting how you flipped it that way because I feel like that's also what hoarder experts say about hoarders mm -hmm. is that they hold on to everything because they feel like that's the only thing in their life they can control is keeping these possessions mm -hmm. over the years after some sort of significant trauma in their life. Mm -hmm. But how empowering would it be if you're somebody or have a family member that struggles with hoarding to say, like, I understand that you want these possessions because it's something that you feel like you have control over when everything else is out of control. Mm -hmm. But what if you controlled getting rid of it and that's how you kept your possessions under control? That's, mm -hmm. that's, I feel like that's a huge mindset hack. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it is. And I didn't know that necessarily about hoarders. It makes total sense uh, of why. I mean, it just goes back to the emotions and the sentimentality, though. They hold it because it has some type of sentimental or they feel protected with those items in their house. Like there is some type of, some type of association of protection, maybe, of I, my mom left me but these things won't leave me. Yes. So that's deeper. I'm not I'm not saying that this is a blanket statement the way that I live for everyone that has severe trauma, but I would say that I had an episode with Modern Mom Probs, Tara, Tara Clark, she's on Instagram, and she talked about her mom being a hoarder and it it does it's a slow process for people that are attached in a deeper mindset way. And that's why I'm saying I think that so much of this, I have to go down and, and just write down and get it out of my brain and organize, like just organize mm -hmm. it. So, What's some advice for people that are wanting to live a minimalist life, but maybe they grew up with a parent who was a hoarder or they maybe not even necessarily the clinical definition of hoarding, but they grew up with a very disorganized or messy or unclean home. Mm -hmm. How can you change that for yourself? Um, start small. Um, don't start with the sentimental items. Again, starting in the bathroom and moving through spaces that don't have a lot of those triggers, I guess, for you. I would never start in my basement because usually that's where we <laughs> store a lot of the things that it's like, oh, I didn't really know what to do this at the time. Um, but yeah, start small. Get those little wins under your belt to build momentum. And also I've noticed with myself, um, my daughter's eight and going through her baby clothes when I first, I don't know, when she was like one or two, it was so hard. And I definitely kept a lot more because I'm like, maybe we'll have another girl in the future. So I kept a lot more, but then I returned to the stuff and I'm like, okay, I think we can get rid of a little bit more of this. And then I returned to it again. So it's kind of like, I guess, uh, what is it? Exposure therapy. Yeah. Just like exposing yourself to that. And then when you go back through it, it's just easier to detach from it. Cause it's like, I've exposed myself to this and the in the feeling, but also I have pictures of her and her, my favorite outfits of her, of hers that she wore. And also I've donated so much to my sister and my little niece, Catherine, and seeing Catherine in Charlotte's clothing is, is so fun to see. And it's like, it's living out those memories and it's reminding me. And now we're on to the next memories. And it's just like, 
don't feel like letting go of those things is letting go of the past or the experiences that you've had. Like those are still with us. And it's like, what's next? I'm just excited for what's next with my kids. And the the items are just so, again, they're, they're unnecessary. Do you edit down and clean your kids' rooms or do you teach them how to do it and they're responsible for editing out their possessions? Uh, it's a little bit of both. So I think when your kids are younger, you can kind of get in there and just get rid of, I don't know where that went. Um, <laughs> but I think as they get bigger, I don't want to, again, I don't want it to have the opposite effect of what I would like to instill in my kids. And so I like visual boundaries like, hey, you have this shelf. You can fill it with so much stuff. And then once you get new stuff, we're going to, it's the one in, one out rule. Like you can only fill this cabinet. This is, you can only put things on this shelf. Um, so I like her to have that visual boundary of where she can bring things in that she likes. And then also usually around Christmas or birthdays, I'll grab a box and say, hey, you're probably going to get some new toys. So is there anything you're not playing with that you want to either, if it's if it's still in good shape, donate, um, gently used, um, or we're just going to get rid of. So I think I'm hesitant to totally take control and dominate uh, just, I guess, with our minimalism to them because I just never wanted to backfire. And I just was telling someone the other day, uh, she got this book at my eight-year-old at the library about cardboard boxes and how you can create uh, toys with recyclable materials. Anyways, I went into her room and I was like, Charlotte, you have way too much. <laughs> and so it's like, what are you actually playing with? And we can keep a couple, but it's time to get rid of it. And that that was an eyesore to me. I didn't want to go in there and see that, but I have little kids. I have kids. And so my house is not going to be exactly perfect of w- the way that I would want it without them. But one day I'm going to miss that. And I think that we have to look at our lives and seasons too and say, this is just a season and we can curate it as best as we can, but some things are just going to be for a season. How do you deal with guilt of throwing away art that your kids make. Like they color a picture and then they are like, let's put this somewhere. And it's like, then you have 200 of these little drawings. Yes. So I have on my phone and you can do it on your computer too. It's Charlotte, the artist, Martin, the artist. I don't have one for Benji yet, but I will take a picture of it and then upload it to that file. And then in our scrapbooks that I was much better about making a few years ago, I would have a section of all their art. And then you keep the things that are like really, really special. And then with my kids, I also have these boxes from the container store um, <laughs> that, it again, it's like a visual boundary. We're going to put the really special things in here and then go back through and reassess. So with Shar the other day, actually it was the other day, uh, we just went back through and I'm like, do you still want this? Do you Is this still special to you? And she's like, no. So we got rid of it and we created more space in there for her. So again, allowing her to kind of take control. And then we have those from when she's really little, the scrapbook of the. That's genius. Genius with the digital. Like take a picture and then you just have it on there because it's going to take off, take up way less space on your phone or your computer than having the physical art there and keeping all of these, you know, throughout the year. I heard another mom the other day, I was listening to something else and this mom lives in a multiple story house. So they usually live most of their life, like, you know, in the living room, the kitchen on the first floor. And so when her kids make art, she'll say to them, okay, if you really want to keep this, then you have to bring it all the way upstairs. And she said nine times out of 10, they're like, eh, no, it doesn't mean that much because they don't feel like walking all the way up to oh, put it where it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's like, if it really means something to you, you're going to walk all the way up and put mm-hmm. it upstairs. And so I was like, that's genius too. And then the other ones just get thrown away. Yeah. You can also display it. So I have these cords from Ikea from in her room and I just clip the 
some of her favorite pieces, and then you just switch them in and out. And if you need to take a picture of it, you can take a picture of, picture of it for the scrapbook. But yeah, it's just crazy how I think when you shift your mindset, you do start detaching a little bit more from some of these things because I still do. There's things I feel sentimental about. I just found a card from my grandma and I was like, oh, I'm never getting rid of this. Like this is something that it's it's just her last handwriting to me. And it's like that's going to be mine. And I have my own box, too, of things that is that are special to me. So I'm not trying to say that that there aren't items that aren't special that we should be keeping, that it's not uh, hard to get rid of those things. What are some interesting facts that you can tell us about kids who have less toys? Mm -hmm. So kids that have less toys are typically dealing with less decision fatigue. And I've seen this We're coming out of Christmas. And my kids are not playing as well as they had been because there is too much. And it's like, think about you. If you cultivate a closet where you have just things that you know that you love and that you wear regularly, probably like we'll say 20 to 30 items. It's so much easier to get dressed. But if you have 50, 60, 70, 80, whatever, fill in the number items, it is so much harder to get dressed because you have an abundance of things. Or think about going to the grocery store. It's like, I just need two cereals so I can pick which one. But when you have a whole entire aisle of cereal, it is decision fatigue. And then it's like, I don't know how to operate. So I've seen either my kids play not well at all, or they go from thing to thing and they're not entertained. But if you have fewer things, it's like, this will entertain me longer because I don't have a lot of things that I can move to. So I need to figure out a use for this. And I also really love imaginative toys for that reason. Um, Blocks, I would consider an imaginative toy to where you have multiple uses. Like silks and stuff. Yeah, multiple use toys, but also we spend a lot of time outside. So I feel like it's easy if you try and prioritize that if you live in a climate that you can get outside a lot more it kind of helps cut down on the number of toys that you feel like you have to own. So would limiting decision fatigue look like going through, editing down your children's toys, not necessarily getting rid of them, but you you take some and maybe put them in storage or put them away and only keep a few out at a time, yes. and then you just, like, switch them out so, so they're like, oh, something new. Toy rotation is what you're ah. talking about. Yes. Um, that is helpful, too, and especially with Christmas gifts, I will put things away, and then we'll bring them out here probably at, like, at the end of February. It's like one thing once things have gotten not as exciting, I'll bring something out that they love and I want them to have. So some Lego kits we've put in the basement, and we'll bring them out here once – things aren't as exciting anymore. But I think toy rotation has been really helpful too because things seem new again and exciting again, even though it's like, no, you had this a few months ago. So, How do you deal with incoming toys for birthdays and holidays? Like family members and all these people just buying like all these junky toys. Like do parents have to accept all toys and just say thank you? Mm -hmm. Is it okay to tell your family members, hey, like we're not doing toys or we just want books or what? how do you deal with that? Yes, you always have to say thank you. Okay. <laughs> you always have to be gracious. Um, however, I have gotten decent about if we go to the store and my kids see something they like, I'll take a picture of it. I have a note in my phone of all the items that they want. And then you can kind of curate that for birthdays and Christmas lists and send that out to grandparents or aunts and uncles. But I would say even for us, we have a few people that just really love to give abundantly. And uh, it can be frustrating sometimes. But again, when you're gifting a gift, it's no longer yours. So mm. my gift to you, you can do with it whatever you want. And for me as the gift giver, like ha- I'm not even half. I would say the majority of the excitement in giving you the gift is that moment of connection between you and I. So again, now that the item is yours, you can do with it what you will. And um, 
I just think getting ahead of it is really important. And like I said, Amazon list or Lakeshore, Lakeshore Learning has registry lists now that you can do to where you can kind of say, this is what my kids want and have them put input in there. But yeah, I would always just say, be a generous receiver. And then what you do with that gift, uh, it's it's up to the gift giver to manage their feelings enough if they were so hurt that you. Wow. Okay. What I love about this podcast is that every episode is an interview with someone that has an amazing life story or expertise. And this month, obviously, I'm focusing on people in the health and wellness space. This week, we're talking about how to improve your family and personal relationships with minimalism, but you also need to think about what you're feeding your family, too. I use a meat subscription company called Good Ranchers. They're conservative, American-owned, and work with American ranchers in middle America to provide pasture-raised, antibiotic, and hormone-free meat. Their animals are grass-fed most of their lives and finished on a mixture of grass and recycled distillery grain. Almost all of the meat at your grocery store is from China, and they're pumping so many chemicals in it that it's not even allowed in their own country, but they send it to us. That's what's insane. Now, the salmon, shrimp, scallops, snapper, and trout at Good Ranchers is also good for you. It's always green-rated for sustainability. The harm of bycatch is limited, and they always leave their environment better than when they found them. Try Good Ranchers by going to goodranchers.com slash Clark and use code Clark in the month of January and get a year's worth of free chicken. Plus, not only will you get free chicken for a year, but with my code, you'll get $20 off any Good Ranchers box of your choosing. Go to goodranchers.com slash Clark with code Clark. You should feel good with the meat that you eat, and the meat should also taste good. Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. What does it mean to outsource our responsibilities and why should we choose to outsource our responsibilities sometimes? Yeah, well, I would say like if you're feeling overwhelmed by the responsibilities that you have, it's really important to outsource again that energy and what is my focus and I talk about um, how priority equals one. So in the 1400s, priority came into being that that term. And it wasn't until the 1900s that we pluralized it and made it priorities. And so I say with if you're finding that you have a lot of priorities as opposed to priority, meaning the most important thing, write down your top five things that you need to do today and cross up the bottom four, your five like most important things, cross up the bottom four and leave the one most important thing of the thing that you need to get done. That's what's priority. So if you're looking at your responsibilities that needing you're needing to outsource, what are your top three, top five? And then outsource that if you don't have time and energy, because I do, I'm not opposed to paying someone to help if it gives me the freedom to invest my time elsewhere. Yeah, like cleaning your car out or going to, you know, get the groceries, having the groceries delivered instead one time, one week. And I would say even something as silly as that, I don't ever go to the grocery store anymore because Giant Eagle has, I think if you spend $35, it's free. They will just bring out your groceries to you. You just put in your little order and that's saving me time. So I'm not necessarily paying anyone, but I'm outsourcing those responsibilities so I can focus on other things that take up my time now. And again, that's going to look different for everyone. One of the hardest spaces I think it's so overwhelming to me when I think about decluttering it that I just give up without even starting is areas or drawers where I keep random papers, instruction manuals, warranties, old paychecks, bills. How do you know what to get rid of and what to keep? I throw away most of that stuff. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So 
any warranty. I don't know. Maybe I just don't. I should buy the get the warranty, but I don't have it. But with things like instruction manuals, you can Google that. Most of the stuff is digital. That's and, so true. Uh, yeah. See that? That's all I needed to hear. Yeah, because that's what I think. What if this breaks and I don't know how to fix it? I can just Google it. Yeah, you can Google Duh. it. And there's YouTube videos that show how to fix those things. But old checks, yeah, I don't know why. I think maybe after a certain period of time, like if it, the check is cleared. Yeah. So go. basically, I'm just you're you're like Alex. You're keeping this stuff for no reason. Great. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Does it actually make a difference to tidy the kitchen every night or fold the laundry before we go to bed if we're truly dead tired? Or does it not matter and just do it in the morning? I think, um, are you familiar with Andrew Huberman? No. Oh, it's, I highly recommend Andrew Huberman and his podcast, but I would say that he would probably say prioritize rest because it's the most important thing. However, I do not like to come downstairs in the morning to a disheveled kitchen. So, if you implement the one-minute rule, I heard this from Gretchen Rubin. So anything that you can get done in one minute, give or take a few, um, do it. So if you're throughout the day cleaning off your lunch plate, doing your breakfast dishes, you're not going to have all of that at the end of the day piling up to where you're having to do it at the end of the day. You may have a few things, but um, yeah, I would say that if you can stay on top of it throughout your day, that you can just easily go to sleep. And then in regards to laundry, um, I do a load of laundry every single day and fold the clothes every single day. It doesn't take too much time, but also we've cut our wardrobe in half to where I don't, I, I don't have as much laundry. Anyways. See, how often should we be cleaning out our closets? Like, is that a once a year thing, once a month thing, every six months? I don't know. I like to do things. I really like the fall as a time to reset and restart. And then the spring, it's kind of the opposite, I guess, of the new year and the summer break. But I like to go through things then. But really, again, it's just, is this feeling is this feeling too crowded? Am I starting to notice, oh, I have too much? And then just reassess, spend some time, put it in your calendar if you have to. Because I think with decluttering, especially if you're going to go through a lot um, of things at once, you're going to have to block that off in your schedule. Like don't pull things out and then not get back to it. Don't start it. And then um, you're like, I've pulled all this stuff out and I don't have time to continue. It's like, Maybe you should have scheduled the time to do that. And again, these little decluttering things throughout your day, when the mail, when you get the mail, deal with it right then and there. That's one of the one minute rule things. Um, hang up your coat, put your shoes away. It's just little things that will save you time at the end of your day. So where you can relax and that's you should be able to relax at the end of your day. What does it mean to parent with simplicity? Parent with simplicity. Well, I would just say strip away all the things that marketers tell us that we need for our kids. I mean, think back to the past and the way that people used to live. They had not nearly as much. And in some ways, I, I'm sure that I romanticize how happy they were. But parenting with simplicity with me is just intentionality as much as I possibly can with what we're doing, what I'm teaching. Um, it's a lot of nature. It's I'm not opposed to screen time. I just am very intentional about what we watch. And um, I don't I don't want to go into like, I don't know the science of it, but even screens that are shows that are really, really busy. I don't, it's something about how fast the images of our brain are taking in um, versus like something like Little Bear from the 90s. If you compare it to yes. something from um, oh, times. Cocoa Melon yes. is crack cocaine <laughs> for a baby. I, when I see parents, I'm sorry, like to be this judgy non-mom, but I will say this. Cocoa Melon, I just feel like anyone with a brain, you know, that has got to be terrible for your kids. But you're yeah. right. When I think about stuff that I used to watch when I was little, mm -hmm. it is totally different. The animation and it's everything. Stimulating. It's yeah. overstimulating. It's like just so many visuals that we do not need to take in at once. But yeah, I think 
with I think the words inane, my husband's like, I don't really want us, our kids to watch anything. They're just, yeah, it's kind of like the candy of what you could be watching. We don't want to eat that kind of, we don't eat candy every day. Yeah. We don't want to watch Cocoa Melon every day. And I think that's hard too. And um, I haven't experienced this yet, but I'm, I can imagine is becoming a new parent, all of these different companies and brands, you need this as a new mom, you need this, you need mm -hmm. this, you need this. And so you talking about parenting with simplicity. I mean, what do you actually need for mm -hmm. those that are pregnant or expecting their first or have a new baby? Like what items do you remember? Like, oh, this was worth it. I needed this. And this was just a, like, why did I even get this? Yeah. I think that for babies, they need very little. I had so many clothes for my daughter, and it's like, oh, she. I'm. We're, I'm just finding that in this very beginning stage, we're very cozy, and she's. I want to be cozy with her, and so she's not needing all these outfits to go everywhere because she's usually in this little like bundle that I wrap her up in. So that I really loved. Um, I really loved a, like a baby Bjorn or like a wearing a wrap that mm -hmm. you can wear. Um, you don't need the warm wipes. I have a whole section in my book about what you actually should, oh fabulous. Bring in. Um, I'm like trying to remember back to when I had little little kids. Um, one of the things I was telling my friend yesterday that I loved was our Bob stroller, and it was an all terrain stroller, and I've used it for eight years. I used it with all for my all kids, your kids, all my kids, and it was um, more of an expensive splurge gift, but it was something that again, is going to last. The pack and play, that's lasted for all of my kids. But I would say, this isn't in regards to little babies or what we should be having for newborns, but marketers want you to feel like you need a product and that you don't have enough. And even if you look at the Target floor set, it used to change, I don't know, I think with the season and now it's, I think they have 40 or something set changes or floor changes um, throughout the year. And it's like, if you, every time you have to go to Target, have to get or fill in the blank of the store that you're going to have to get the new thing, you're never going to be caught up and you're going to yeah. be spending money. So when you can also kind of look at it from that perspective, like I'm never going to have everything they're trying to sell to me. You can kind of, again, detach from it and say, I'm good with what I have. See, that's the question. When we are at Target, for mm -hmm. example, what should we be asking ourselves before we make a purchase? Yeah. I ask myself, do I have something like this? Um, what is my motivation in buying this? Um, gosh, what else do I say? What, do I want this because someone else has this? And mm. so if you get, I, I think that a lot of people probably are listening to this thinking she sounds like she thinks a lot <laughs> and she's like <laughs> overthinking all of this stuff. But I would just say that once you start thinking this way, it just becomes second nature. It is. It's just habit. I don't have to overthink all of these things anymore because this is just the way that I've lived my life. It's with anything. It's with eating healthy. It's, yes. You're not thinking nearly as much as you once were about it. It's just coming by your nature now. Yeah. One thing that I have learned in my 20s is I always ask myself when it comes to clothes anyway before I buy, well, anything, but definitely clothes for me, do I like it mm -hmm. or do I love it? Yeah. And if I like something, I don't buy it. Uh-huh. Or if I go home and I'm like, I, I, I don't know, I'm torn between do I just like it or do I love it? But if I go home and uh -huh. I am thinking about it for like three, five days, I have not stopped thinking about that sweater for a a week. Yeah. I'm like, I love it. Yeah. I need to get it because I know I love it. I'm going to wear it a lot. And so that's kind of how I rationalize no. what to buy. Yeah. I've done that too. I usually say if I see something, I'll give it four to six weeks. <laughs> wow. Longer than me. Yeah. And if I'm like coming back to that in my mind, then I have a conversation with my husband. And I'm like, yeah, I, I think I want to pull the trigger on this one. I want to get this, these, this pair of shoes or this jacket or whatnot, what have you. Yes. Also look on Poshmark though. 
Yes. Yeah. Oh, and that too. Yeah. If I see something brand new at Free People, for example, that I want, yes. I will find the exact product name, type it into Poshmark or eBay. And yeah. sometimes with tags, it'll be $40 less yes. on there. I do it all the time. Yeah. It's a great way to save money. Again, I think a lot of my drive is frugality and just where are we spending our money. And so that's a really helpful thing to save money for sure. What is a drop zone in the home and why is that a bad habit to get into? So drop zones are any area that you're coming in and just dropping, as it says, <laughs> dropping your things. So mudroom counter. Yeah, mudroom countertops. Um, any little table that you might have, side table, you're dropping your keys, you're dropping the mail, you're dropping your kid's school school stuff, artwork. And so it's nice to have those areas tidied because again, visual clutter is overstimulating and it just, if we allow that to build up, it ends up taking so much time. And then it's again, it's like, where do we start? And I don't know how to manage all of this. So if you can just deal with those items right then and there, I have a little bowl for the keys. My husband always seems to lose his keys. So I was like, we're going to get a bowl and your keys are going to go there. And let's try and <laughs> try and use this bowl every time that you come home. But yeah, I think that if we have, what is it? A place for everything and everything has a place. Um, that is something I try to live by too. And again, I think it's okay to have a junk drawer. Like I'm totally okay with that because some things are and you have no idea where they should go. So yeah, like a mis miscellaneous. Yeah, it's like this is my miscellaneous drawer and I know what is in here and that's why it's here. It's like the island of misfit toys. Yes. That's the little drawer that yes. we have. Uh, what are some life hacks to avoid overpacking? Oh, overpacking. So I came here today. Mm -hmm. I'm here for 24 hours and I took a, ba a backpack. And wow. Yeah. You didn't even do a carry-on, a backpack. Yeah, I just have a backpack. And I rolled my clothes. And also, if you can kind of capsule for your trip, if you're going on a longer trip, I'm here for a short period of time. But if you are going somewhere for five to seven days, um, just capsule your thing. So if you're wearing shorts, just have the same pair of shorts that you can maybe wear day one, day three, day seven, and then have a few shirts that you can mix, mix and match. And I think with beach trips, it's easier because you're mostly in a bathing suit. Um, again, I feel like our lifestyles are different. So it's going to look like I'm like, I don't know what your motives are when you go on vacation and you're like, I want to look oh, sexy well, this is great. And, and whatnot. But I'm like, I'm a mom, so I'm going to be in the same bathing suit the whole time. Yeah. Um, but I would just say doing that and then um, are you wanting to know like about kids and like how to travel with kids? All, any just... of it, all of it. Don't think about me because there's okay. so many people listening that okay. that will relate more to you than me anyway. Okay. Well, yeah. And then just like traveling in general with kids, I always like to, if we have a far drive to go, find a spot along the way that they can get out and play. Or if there's like an exciting thing to see, we were driving through West Virginia and found this really actually cool town that had these caves nearby and we camped out and cool. it just kind of like breaks up the trip so it's not nearly as um, stressful, but also finding places that have um, toys. Like we just went to Michigan and there was a um, beach a block away and they had a wagon in the place with beach toys and beach chairs. So we didn't have to pack any of that. So look at if you're doing Airbnb, what is included in your stay? Yeah. Um, but yeah, in regards to just like, what am I packing in my bag? I just think that I think of how often you overpacked. Like we overpack all the time. And so if you can just say, I'm going to capsule this, I'm going to write it down, <laughs> go back to that writing it down, and then just get organized. I think having a plan is really important. You discovered something during the fall when it came to minimalism, socially, yeah. uh, mentally, what you take on. Could you talk about that? Yeah. I would say that I've always, gosh, I've been living a minimalist lifestyle for like 10 to 12 years at this point. And I, Feel like I preach 
simplify, say no, keep your boundaries. Um, and this fall, I took on way too much. I said yes to, uh, I'm a photographer and I took on way too many sessions. In October alone, I had 60 many sessions. And with the podcast, doing it all by myself and just homeschooling. And I, I just do a lot. And I thought that my, as an extrovert, my boundary was here and it was actually down here. And I wouldn't have known that, I guess, if I didn't say yes to everything. But just seeing how, no, these principles you say that you believe actually are something that you want to live out. And you see now what your mental health is like when you don't. I mean, I was at the point where I was getting emails about photography or like, we want to come on your podcast. And I started getting dizzy. Like I was completely overwhelmed because I had just, I'm like, I don't know how to manage you. I don't know where to put you. That's exactly how I am and why people are like, why don't you just do a podcast on your own and stuff? I'm like, no, no, no. I have to have these people. I have oh, to yeah. have this team yeah. to manage, like helping get you here last minute because oh, yeah. um, we had schedule changes and all yeah. that. Like I couldn't do it. Yeah. It is amazing to me. So in like just really a wow factor that you do all of your podcasts by yourself. It is such a good podcast. And you oh, record thanks. in your car. <laughs> yeah, I, I do record in my car. That's my studio. Um, sometimes I'll record the intro and outro in my closet, which I know a lot of podcasters will do that too. But yeah, I mean, this is just a labor of love, creative project that started. It happened to take off. Um, I was not expecting that. At this point, I'm still blown away that anyone wants to talk to me about this or that people are coming on. But it... Yeah, I'm like, I'm just a mom doing this. And so, yeah, I'm doing it in my car. I just, I find the time to figure it out and it fit it in where it, it fits. But yes, just going back to the October and just fall in general, seeing how minimalism applied to your life and your mindset is so important. And when we neglect to think that our things or saying yes doesn't, uh, I, I just feel like I was flailing. So, yeah. Yeah. Get doing better habits this year with all of that stuff. I love that. What is the name of your podcast? Remind us again and where they can listen and what do you cover on your podcast? Obviously minimalism. Yeah. So it's the Minimalist Moms podcast and you can find me at Minimalist Moms podcast on Instagram. I also wrote a book about it, Minimalist Moms Living and Parenting with Simplicity. But yeah, I don't just talk about decluttering your possessions. As I said, I'm really into the mind and mindfulness, um, really into just intentional living. So you'll have topics about how to parent. Um, gosh, I had Sandra Stanley on who her episode's coming out about parenting um, with the intention in mind. So it's all these little things that I feel like at this point I've been doing it for five or six years. So I'm like, how can we make this minimalist? And so much of what we're doing is about intentionality and what we how we're building a life to think more and do with less. So you have great guests. Yeah, great guests awesome. if you're interested in this type of subject matter, especially parenting, um, which my audience knows I've become obsessed randomly with like reading and listening to all these parenting podcasts and parenting books. Yes. I just find it interesting to prepare ahead uh -huh. um, for or, you know, one day, God willing, if that happens. But I just think it's fun to listen to people talk about different styles of parenting. And mm -hmm. so I've really enjoyed your podcast for that reason. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I love um, I was the same way. I was a nanny, but I was just really into reading about motherhood before I was a mom. So we connected via Jenny Urich on A Thousand Hours Outside. Um, Mike Viking, he is coming on. He is in Dahuga which is like the Danish yes! Living Cozy. I just got two books yeah. on that that I haven't read yet. Yes, yeah, so he will be on, it'll air in February. So Ooh. yeah, it's just all these different people that are doing things with a life of intention. That's what I want. I want people that are just trying to 
be intentional without being redundant. <laughs> so for those that are like, I'm ready, I'm in, I want to declutter, I want to simplify my house, I want to simplify my parenting, obviously besides reading your book, what are some other books that really changed your life in this world? Yeah, I would say Simplicity Parenting by, oh my gosh. Oh, Kim, Kim or Ken. Kim, no, it's Kim. It G is? John. <laughs> You're wonderful. Simplicity your parenting. <laughs> Simplicity parenting. Yes, it is so good. Yes. Let the meat dirt. I'm not going to say the authors. I'm so sorry. I know the titles of these books. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know the authors. I'm sorry. Um, Let the meat dirt was a game changer when I had my son and just everything that they're putting into their mouth. It gave me so much peace about your microbiome. So that's mm -hmm. a great book. Um, There's no such thing as bad weather. Amazing. Oh, just read that. Yeah, Linda McGurk. Yeah, I do know her name. I, she, I think about she Linda. She came all on the your time. podcast. Yes, she's been on twice, and um, she has a new book, The Open Air Life, that goes a little bit more in depth about it. But every time I go outside in bad weather, I'm like, "Thanks, Linda. I'm yes. so glad that you put this message out." There. I loved that book, and now fascinated with uh, Swedish parenting and all yeah. that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, it is really fascinating. But yeah, I have a whole list on um, on my website of books that I. I'm really interested in and have changed my life. So it, the ones that I'm forgetting are on there. As and well. what's your website? Uh, just minimalistmomspodcast.com. Perfect. Yeah. Diane, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your expertise with us. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. This was really, I'm so excited that you had me. So much amazing wisdom and encouragement from Diane on how to get not only our things edited down, but extra emotional baggage. That frontier system is a flipping game changer. I feel so guilty sometimes for not calling people I used to be closer to, but I think, you know what? It's okay. As we get older, our friendships can change. I have had to learn I don't have to buy a gift or go to coffee with every single acquaintance I know. More editing out those tier three friends that Diane talked about in 2023. I'm also going to take Diane's advice and finally go through my makeup and start throwing things out that I don't need or use. I definitely recommend her podcast, which is linked in the show notes. And hopefully this was another health and wellness episode that you took some notes down for. Next week, we'll be getting into the psychology of food, which you will not want to miss. So make sure you aren't just clicking on episodes and listening, but you're actually subscribing. I think on Apple Podcast, on the top right corner there on the main profile for the spillover. There's like a little plus button. If you click that, you'll actually be subscribed to the show and the episodes will automatically download on your phone. That's what helps us the most, okay? Also, leaving a five-star review. Do that this week with one tip from Diane Bowden that you'll be using this year to simplify your own life. If you liked this episode, go back and listen to season three, episode 21 about the art of homemaking with Sally Clarkson. Also, you'll really like season one, episode 23, all about the woke problems at HGTV and just the interior design business in general with two conservative interior designers. The Spillover is back next Thursday at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, anywhere you get your podcasts. Subscribe to Poplitics on YouTube if you want to watch these interviews every week. I'm Alex Clark, and this is The Spillover. Love you. Mean it. Bye. Bye.